The following podcast is a Clutch Media production. Welcome to They Get It. My name's Kelsey, and my co-host Emma and I love direct-to-consumer brands. Whether it's an amazing customer experience or a really killer social strategy, this podcast will feature the brands and founders who just get it. Welcome back to They Get It. Today, we have one of the co-founders of Three Ships, Connie Lowe on. Connie is just an awesome person, and the story of Three Ships is really incredible. It is. And I mean, like Emma and I are fangirling. We've been fans of Three Ships for a long time, and hearing Connie's take on the evolution of the business is just so cool. For those of you that don't know, uh, Connie and Laura met at Queen's. They bootstrapped this company with $4,000, you guys, and they're grossing, you know, millions now in revenue. This is like a rocket ship story. And they're so humble and like such just good, genuine people to talk with. Um, They've had a crazy 2020. And like, I think Connie doesn't necessarily give herself enough credit for how much has changed. Um, You know, Laura's health took a turn for the worse earlier this year. They ended up rebranding. And I just want to share this story with you. The name Three Ships sounds kind of unconventional. And the whole story behind it is because there's an old um, kind of legend that goes towards people finding this fountain of youth and how most people would set out with dozens and dozens of ships. And instead, the person who actually ended up finding the fountain of youth set out with a fleet of only three ships. And so if you look at their philosophy, they're cruelty-free, all-natural, vegan products, simple to understand, affordably priced. You don't need the largest fleet in the world to make the most effective products. And I just think that Connie and Laura have done an amazing job building a brand around it. It's really cool to hear their philosophy about building a beauty brand in today's day and age when it's such a saturated market and their approach to wholesaling, they're in Whole Foods, they're in Target, they're really everywhere at this point. So really interesting stuff. Um, And we get into some of, you know, the backgrounds of funding, of being on Dragon's Den, of doing their seed round. I don't know a lot about this stuff, so I like to ask the more junior questions, but we have Kelsey here as well, who has clear bank experience and knows the space better. So we're hoping that no matter where you are in learning about funding a business, there'll be a good takeaway for you in this episode. Mm -hmm. And another bonus, we have a discount code. If you want to try out three ships, you can use they get it 20 to get 20% off your order. I'm so excited. Connie is just a blast to chat with. Should we get into it? Let's do it. Today, we have Connie Lowe with us, who is one of the co-founders of Three Ships Beauty. Connie, thank you so much for being here. We're so excited to chat with you today. Thanks so much for having me. Really excited for our conversation. Yeah. So I guess to start off, um, we would love to just hear a little bit about where you're at today. I mean, you were on Dragon's Den not too long ago, which is pretty big. And since then, you've gotten a seed round of funding. So yeah, where are you at today? How are things going? Yeah. So as of the recording date, we just launched at Target um, like two days wow. ago. Yeah, thank you. It's been taking up a lot of our time. It's something we've worked on on and off with our with our team for like two years and then found out seven months ago that we'd be launching into over 500 stores. Um, oh so that's gosh. really been something that has taken a lot of time, but really excited about. Um, and then we also are working on a Whole Foods launch um, and just launched at Hudson's Bay Company 
Sydney and Indigo in Canada. Um, and we'll be launching at Holt Renfrew next month. So lots of really cool retail expansion coming up. Uh, for our brand. And like you mentioned, Dragon's Den was an incredible experience. Uh, and I can chat more about our seed round uh, with you guys later in this podcast. Amazing. Okay. So my first question is how did you go about getting on to Dragon's Den? What was that process like? Yeah, it's a great question. So for Laura and me, we grew up watching Dragon's Den. Like I swear, like in high school, you know, we would watch every episode and our dream was always to be on the show. And I distinctly remember in first year university, um, I went to Queens and they showed an episode of Dragon's Den and had someone come in who had been on the show. And I was like, oh man, like I could never do that because, you know, I, even thinking about it now, my palms are sweating. I'm like, oh man, like that, that's a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, but we knew that we wanted to appear on the show because it's so amazing for awareness. I mean, the show gets broadcasted across Canada and then appears on Netflix. Um, so we also knew that the timing made sense for us because at the time of audition, we were around three years into our business. So we had enough traction to show, um, to prove that we were a legit business and not get left out of the den. So the process was fairly simple. Um, so starting in last year, February, we auditioned. Um, it was very easy. You just submit an application, um, which was like a one minute video. And then we showed up at the CBC studio in downtown Toronto for the audition. So the way that audition looks is you have um, tables set up with different producers. And we were expecting, um, you know, maybe like huge crowds of people to be showing up to audition. But surprisingly, right. Um, because we arrived really early. There were only maybe like 10 companies in front of us. Um, and then we got matched up with two producers, which at the time we didn't realize until later, but one of them was the executive producer. Uh, and then we pitched as if we were going to be on the den. So we talked about like, hey, we're Connie and Laura from Toronto. We're here pitching for 350,000 for 10% of our company, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, it took around five minutes of back and forth. And then after that, we waited to hear from them. So we found out in July, um, so a couple months later, that we were one of 80 companies selected from 2,000 auditions um, wow. to come into the den to pitch, which was really exciting. Um, and what most people don't realize is not all the businesses that pitch actually appear on the show. Mm -hmm. um, so I think around 10 to 15% of the companies that pitch don't appear um, on TV. So just because you mm -hmm. get an offer doesn't guarantee a placement. Uh, so from July onwards, we were busy presenting and practicing um, to a producer we had been matched up with um, to prepare a pitch. So she was really helpful in helping us understand like what props um, would look good on TV. Um, so oh, wow. example, she mentioned like, you know, TV on TV is not a good um, look. So what that means is like, don't bring in, you know, a laptop or like a big projector because it doesn't display well on TV. So like these were things we had no idea about. Um, mm -hmm. and we practiced our pitch like over 200 times. Um, and then we went into the CBC studio on um, sometime in September. Um, and that day was wild because I remember we had booked hair and makeup the day before. Um, we had scheduled it, sorry, for the morning of, um, booked it like a month before. And the night before, we got our appointment canceled um, because of COVID, which was so interesting. Oh and um, because executive producers had moved up our time slot for Dragon's Den. 
So we actually had to do our own hair and makeup. Um, so the night before, Laura slept over at my place and we were just like practicing makeup looks. We actually oh. went to a drugstore and bought liquid eyeliner because neither of us owned it. And we were like, oh gosh, I really hope this looks good on camera tomorrow. You did a great job. It looked awesome. Thanks. You should have seen us in person. We were wearing like pounds and pounds of makeup. <laughs> but I think, you know, like the camera lights wash you out. So we're like, okay, let's just go a little heavy handed on the bronzer. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. This is interesting. And like, I think there's a lot here that, that I wouldn't assume. Like I even know a couple companies who have been interviewed and on Dragon's Den. And like you just mentioned, they weren't aired. What made you guys get picked? Was it the fact that you were with the executive producer or were they looking for specific criteria? Yeah, another great question. I mean, I have no idea what criteria they use to select the companies that appear on the show, but I think it has to do with the like wow factor or the dramatic factor because mm. at the end of the day, it's reality TV. And we actually spoke with a lot of other founders who had been on the show. So we made sure to have calls with at least six founders and talk about their experience to prepare. And they all said that you have to really up the drama. Um, so we exaggerated our expressions, you know, we brought in props that were, you know, really like outstanding. Um, and I think that's what led to us appearing on the show. Um, and then being selected from the pitches, I think what helped us was getting four offers um, because that's not very oh, yeah. common. So I think that's why we ended up getting selected. So the day of, um, we were in a holding room from like 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. because they ended up pushing us to the afternoon slot. So we could have gotten our hair and makeup done anyway. Wow. Um, and it was freezing in there. It was like their backstage. It was kind of cool because we saw, um, you know, the settings that they had for like family feud. Um, so that was fun. Oh, wow. uh, and then we went in. And what a lot of people don't realize is you're actually in the den pitching for 45 minutes to an hour. And it actually gets oh, wow. to that six minute segment that you see. So they, they really cut and splice and they're very heavy handed with the editing. So we were careful to have like, you know, a smiling expression on and all times because we'd heard that sometimes they might splice the clips to make it look like you had a certain reaction when you didn't. Um, and then, Interesting. yeah. And then after that, we found out a month later that our episode would be airing. They told us a week before the episode went live. And so we had that week to organize a virtual viewing party because everything's in lockdown and we weren't able to have it in person. Um, so that was really great because we were able to share the experience with all of our friends and family. Interesting. Okay. I have so many questions, but I think the first thing is every single person that pitches on Dragon's Den has to come in with evaluation. How did you set that and, and how did you structure the equity deal and your ask? Yeah, that's a really good question. So we knew that when it came time to pitching our valuation in the den, um, not all the dragons would understand multiples within the skincare space. So we purposely actually reduced our valuation so as not to get laughed out of the room. Um, and the way that we based the valuation was off of our revenue. Um, so last year, we projected that our revenue at the end of the year would be 1 million, even mm -hmm. though we actually ended the year at 1.3. Um, but at the time, we were thinking it was going to be around 1 million. And average multiples in the space are between 5 to 10x. Um, so for example, Drunk Elephant, when they were acquired, they had an 8x multiple. Um, they got acquired for 800 million. Tata, uh, Tatcha Beauty got acquired for a 5x multiple. So we decided to do something lower than 5x, um, which is how we came up with a $3.5 million valuation. 
And then from there, we just, you know, structured it like 350,000 for 10% equity. Um, and mm. it actually surprised us by coming in with the um, loan agreement instead or the royalty instead of equity. Uh, so that was a great surprise, which is why we accepted it on the show, because then you don't need to give up any ownership in your company. Okay, so I want to dig into why you chose that offer. But first, just a ignorant question, I guess, is the multiples. Can you explain that a bit? Because that's something that's totally foreign to me. Definitely. Um, so within the beauty space, when brands get acquired, and that's this is like the, I guess, like the KPI that we look toward as our North Star, um, you tend to see multiples of the revenue um, of that company. So for example, if uh, Drunk Elephant's annual revenue was $100 million the year they got acquired, and the CPG company that acquired them, which I believe was Unilever, um, paid $800 million, so 8x of $100 million. Um, for Tatcha, okay. they got acquired, they had $100 million revenue, and they had a 5x multiple, and they were acquired for $500 million. So that's the definition of what a multiple is. Okay. Okay. That makes sense. Thank you. So back to Jim's offer. So what was it that really stood out about um, this offer that made you decide that was the right decision? Mm -hmm. Before going into the den, Laura and I chatted about um, which dragons we'd be interested in partnering mm -hmm. with. Um, so one of them was Michelle because she has a lot of experience um, and connections within the D2C or direct-to-consumer space. Right. But another one actually was Jim because he has so many relationships within the retail landscape um, across North America. Um, so that was one thing that we really liked about him. And then the second thing was the fact that his offer was a royalty offer. So I believe it was 5% um, of revenue until we pay back the $350,000 loan and then a 2% royalty moving forward for the next five years. So that was his offer. And at the time, we thought that that was the best deal because we wouldn't be giving up ownership of our company while our company's valuation is still small. Um, after the show, when we were reviewing the offer with some of our advisors, um, we were actually recommended to turn down the offer um, after the show. And this is something that I think is interesting to note for your listeners, because I think a lot of viewers assume that all the deals go through on Dragon's Den, when in reality, less than 20% get signed. Um, and the reason less is that- Less than 20%, wow. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, and I think a lot of brands appear on Dragon's Den just for publicity, which right. was not the case for us. And um, we genuinely want to accept Jim's deal. Um, but we actually learned a lot from talking to advisors. And what they recommended was when a future investor sees that 2% of your revenue is going directly into the pocket of someone else um, like Jim for five years, yeah. it would be a turnoff for future VC funds to invest because the way that they see it is like, why am I investing my hard-earned money to go directly into someone else's pocket? And Laura and I were like, oh, wow, that's a really good point. And we hadn't seen it that way. We had only looked at it simply like equity versus royalty. Mm -hmm. So behind the scenes, we unfortunately had to turn down Jim's team, um, but they were all lovely to work with and we're just staying in touch with them. Yeah, it makes so much sense. And like, obviously, like I come from the ClearBank world where we are anti giving up equity when you don't absolutely need to. Obviously, there's there are use cases when it makes sense, but for you, that just wasn't the case. One of the reasons equity deals sometimes make sense is because you're looking for smart money. You're looking for partners who have a lot to contribute and people who have been there, done that and can help kind of accelerate your growth. It sounds like you have a bunch of other advisors. Who are they and how did you find them? Yeah. Um, so we really focus on aligning ourselves with mentors and advisors who can help us. I think what 
you know, Laura and I really focus on is understanding that as young founders, we may not know everything, but we can always find people who may know someone or know that area. Um, so we've been really blessed with um, being surrounded by great advisors. So one of them is the CEO of Milk Makeup. Um, and the way that we were connected to him was through my alumni school, Queens University. Um, so Laura and I had pitched uh, for a venture competition uh, run by Queens in our first year of business back when we were really tiny. And we won, um, we won the pitch, which was cool. And the Alumni Association connected us with him because uh, they said that we were an up, up and coming skincare company and they asked him if he'd be interested in mentoring us. So that was one of the connections that we got. So for your listeners, I always recommend reaching out to your alumni school, seeing what free press you can get or what connections they have in their alumni um, group. Uh, definitely recommend that. Um, other advisors that we have, and we kind of picked up along the way, um, a lot of them were introduced to us through investors. So mm-hmm. after the Dragon's Den um, episode went live, we actually raised a seed round um, and we raised 1.3, uh, sorry, 1.4 million um, in October of 2020. And that was really great for us because like you mentioned, Kelsey, it's smart money. Uh, Mm -hmm. We really want to align ourselves with people who had experience. So some of the mentors and investors that um, we're so grateful for include Tara Bosch, um, the founder of Smart Suites. um, Wow. Recently sold for 360 million. um, Started in her kitchen. Really inspiring story. We also have advisors um, like the former CEO of Dyson, uh, the former CEO of Daya Foods, um, the founder of Nature's Path. So these are all really great mentors within each of their own realms. Um, You know, we have a lot of um, advisors and investors at Shopify. um, So we feel really blessed because each person offers their own um, expertise. Uh, So really, really grateful for that. That is so cool. And like, I think a diverse board of directors or even board of advisors is so, so important. What is your relationship with them? Like how much do they actually influence your decisions as you're building the business? So what we do is we send out a monthly investor newsletter uh, where we talk about our key wins, um, our KPIs from the last month and year to date, our upcoming projects, and then where we can use help. So I feel like the biggest area that they help out is in that section, like where we can use help. So in the past, we've asked for introductions for PR agencies in the U.S. to raise more awareness in the U.S. market. We've asked for connections to digital marketing agencies. Um, We've even asked them to go in store to Target to take pictures of our products at shelf because being based in Toronto, Canada, we're not able to physically go to Target. So I would say like that's really how they help out a lot. Um, I think something to note for your listeners, especially those with um, businesses who are thinking about getting investors, is when Laura and I were having conversations with investor potential investors, um, we really focused on people who had founder empathy. And this was really important for us because we didn't want to just bring on anyone who had money who would end up micromanaging us or be really stubborn with like the vision that they saw for a company. So we'd always ask about founder empathy. And I think that's why we landed with such an incredible group of mentors and investors. Um, And then we also have an Excel sheet where we track every investor and all the mentors and advisors that we have um, and also note what areas they have expertise in. So anytime there's an area in our business where we're like, oh, you know, like, I don't know, you know, how to execute a good promotional plan at Whole Foods, I can go into the advisor database and see if there's anyone who already has that experience or knows people within the space. So I highly recommend like, you know, doing a good job of tracking all of your connections. 
Yeah. So I guess my big takeaways is don't run a business on an island, like seek out that support and be smart about, you know, how you're going about finding that support and what values you're looking for. And then also make it easy for them, you know, like put out the asks and make it really clear of what you need support on. Mm -hmm, Definitely. We used to have that section as a last section in our email. And then we realized that we had to move it up to the front because, you know, not everyone has the time to read through to the end. And I totally agree. It's about making it very visible and pushing for help. Let's talk a little bit about your community. What other brands do you work kind of like shoulder to shoulder with that aren't necessarily in an advisor role, but are more like peers. Yeah, definitely. So in terms of our advisory network within our peers, Mm -hmm, exactly. I think that's a really good question and a good call out that, you know, you should always put yourself out there and let people know what you need help with. Um, Oftentimes we get asked, you know, what are your top tips for someone new to the startup world? And I always recommend putting out feelers to as many friends that uh, as you can and ask for help because you'll be surprised by how many people are willing to help or know someone who can. Um, And then in terms of our network, I think something that Laura and I do a pretty good job of is being open to helping others. And I think that, you know, that really expands your network because, when you're putting yourself out there and offering to help other founders or other friends, they, you know, oftentimes will quote unquote repay the favor, even though that's not what it's about. And I think that's how we've been able to expand our network so quickly. Um, so the people I turn to for advice oftentimes would be other founders um, because, you know, they've been through it and especially other founders who are like a year ahead of us in our business growth. Um, mm-hmm. They know the next problems to anticipate. Um, so I think that's a really cool way to think about at it. And recently, although I'm very new to Twitter, um, Twitter has been an amazing place for, um, you know, getting a lot of tips about building a building a business. And there's okay. so many people who are willing to help. And it's such a friendly community. So if you guys have tips for Twitter, uh, let me know. Um, but yeah. definitely recommend Twitter. That is such a pro tip. Like D2C lives on Twitter. I'm convinced it's not Instagram. It's certainly not LinkedIn. If you need connections, recommendations, even if you have asks of people, DMing on Twitter is like just a crazy high conversion rate compared to other channels. Definitely. Yeah. And I, I love your point on, you know, being open to helping others as well, because I mean, it's just, uh, yeah, like you said, it's just the right thing to do and it shouldn't be about what you can get back, but it does go both ways. It, mm-hmm. it does really make an impact. So I really love that point. One question that's coming to mind for me. So you started as direct to consumer in e-commerce. Is that correct? Yeah, we did start our brand as a DTC brand, but from day one, we knew that we wanted retail to be a big part of our strategy, which I can talk to okay. more on the question. Yeah. 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 That's what I was going to ask is when did you make that decision to diversify? When was it in your business? That's interesting to say it was right at the beginning. So why was that? Yeah. Um, I would say that a lot of people assume that a beauty brand, um, you know, should just launch online like a DTC only company because the margins are higher and you're able mm-hmm. to do, like Facebook and Instagram ads and like work with influencers. But when Laura and I started the company, like you have to remember that we were, you know, 23, we had $4,000 in savings to start <laughs> right. the brand and we were working other full-time jobs. So we only had time in the evenings and on weekends. And so we had to think very carefully about how we were spending our time and our dollars, which were very limited. (laughs) And so at the time we're like, you know, it doesn't make sense for us just to compete with other online only brands. We had a a hypothesis um, that when it came to new cosmetic and skincare brands, 
people are being like inundated with new brands online all the time. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to tell like what the differences are, like what the differentiating factors are. And we guess that when someone shops at a retailer that they already trust, so say like a Target or a Whole Foods, um, and they see a new brand there, they'd be more willing to try it out. And especially with skincare, people really like to smell, touch and feel the product before So at the time, since we couldn't afford a sampling program of our own or like, you know, amazing um, free return policies, we decided to work on aligning ourselves with reputable retailers who people could shop at and then pick up one product in store. And our assumption was that they would like the product and then repurchase directly from our website and pick up a few more products. And we actually proved this to be correct through user testing that we did with customer calls and post-purchase surveys. So I highly recommend to your listeners who do have small businesses to not discredit the wholesale channel, even though the margins are smaller. You talked a little bit about securing the target deal on the Dragon's Den episode. Was it the same story for all of these retailers? You had basically a connection that you were able to call on? Yeah, good question. So I think something, again, that our entire team does really well is we're all pretty badass hustlers, I would say. And um, <laughs> A lot of people assume that we had like distributors or like sales reps to land these retail partnerships. And I'm here to say like, no, we had none of that. We literally just like went out and tried to find people. So in the case of Target, um, I had been trying to get in the front, in front of the buyer's um, eyes for like a really long time through email, LinkedIn, like Instagram, like I couldn't find them on Instagram, Um, but like all these different avenues. And one day I was talking with um, a former, um, you know, friend from Queens who had recently been laid off from her job. And she um, wanted to chat about my time at Kimberly Clark, which was the company I worked at previously. And I guess this kind of goes back to the point I made earlier about always being willing to help. So I was like, yes, of course, like, let's grab a coffee. I can try to get you connected with the marketing and sales department at the company I worked at. Let's like, you know, buff up your resume. And um, at the end of the conversation, she then turned to me and asked, like, you know, what are you working on right now? Like, what's your number one thing? Uh, and this was in the end of 2018. And I was like, honestly, if I could get away in front of Target, that would be the biggest thing for me because I really believe our brand would do well there. And she said, oh, I actually went on exchange with someone who works in research. Wow. Uh, we want to be connected. And that was the way we were connected. So I ended up getting on a call with um, this woman named Hannah. She was so sweet. And she really loved the brand. I sent her products to try. And she loved the products so much that she actually ended up finding the buyer's email through Target's internal email system and (laughs) introducing herself to him because she didn't know him either. And she was like, hey, I know you don't know me, but uh, I just tried this product. I really think you should try them. So that was the way we got introduced. Um, Same thing with Halt Renfu. I like randomly found them online. Um, I went to pitch to their office um, two years ago. They turned me down initially. I kept at it for a year and a half. um, And that's how we landed Halt's. Um, Hudson's Bay Company, very similar story. Someone at Topshop had reached out um, asking us to do an event in store. And uh, at the time, uh, it didn't make sense for us, but I asked her if she knew anyone at um, HBC in terms of the buying department and was willing to put out a feeler for me. Uh, So I think at the end of the day, it's just about relationship management, um, being kind to other people and looking for opportunities where you can. Man, I was, I don't know if you're familiar with the Pals podcast, Emma and I, Emma got me hooked on them and now I can't stop watching theirs. Um, But Ricky on the show mentions, like, if you don't ask, the answer is always no. And I just think that's my new mantra for 2021 is 
sometimes you just have to shoot your shot and it's not more complicated than that. I totally agree. I mean, that's pretty much the story of three ships. Like everything that we've got so far has been just through asking and being resilient and resourceful. Um, if I had to say like a superpower that I have, um, it'd probably be resourcefulness and like making connections between different people, which back when I was in high school and university, I always thought that that was a detriment where, you know, I wish I was smarter at like the number crunching and like the data analysis. And I remember I would beat myself up so much over not being, you know, like number one in finance. But then now I realize like, you know, the courses I always gravitated towards were like negotiation, marketing and sales, like business ethics. And I feel like that was obviously like a sign that that's where I excelled in. And now marketing and sales at three ships, like I've realized that it's actually my superpower. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I love that. It's all about playing to your strengths and being able to identify those and not letting the things that you don't gravitate towards or that you don't feel you're as good at, not letting that diminish your confidence and, and focusing on what your strengths are. One thing that just I can't get out of my mind is what you were saying about your wholesaling strategy and how you chose to go in store rather than trying to be purely D2C, which we see so many brands doing. And I just think that is absolutely genius uh, because it is such a saturated space. And yeah, people want to, to touch and feel these products. And I think one of the big takeaways for me is wholesaling can seem like this big, scary black box, but it's really just about putting yourself out there and and being scrappy and being resourceful. And I think that that's such a good takeaway for our listeners, not having to do it by the book and not having to do it like every other successful brand in the space is doing. I totally agree. Yeah. It's a very, it's also a flywheel effect because not only are people trying you in store, but when people go on your website, like threeshipsbeauty.com and they check out the store locator and they see these logos of other reputable retailers, it gives them confidence. Right purchase online. So even if they aren't near a target, like all of our Canadian listeners, yeah. you know, can still trust the brand because the fact that they land a target means they must be a legit brand. Oh, it's so true. And I'm just thinking back, like that's an amazing position to be in because the like multiplier effect just goes crazy. I'm thinking back to other interviews we've done with people who are a little bit earlier on in their journey than you guys are right now. Um, a lot of times they're bootstrapped and we hear in most of our interviews, oh, I would do this, but I don't have money. Or I wish we could be doing this, but I don't have money. Can we kind of rewind a little bit? Let's go back to when you and Laura were bootstrapping three ships. What was that big like aha moment? Okay, we need to take on funding. And what was the first thing you did with that money when it hit your bank account? Definitely. Yeah. And I think it's a very common misconception that people have, understandably, uh, that you can't do as much without funding. I would say Laura and I waited as long as we could um, to just like keep self-funding and keep bootstrapping until we felt like we needed to bring on investment. And the reason that we waited is we didn't want to dilute our ownership too early on while our valuation was still lower than we believed that we were worth. Mm -hmm. um, and then when it came time to raising our seed round um, October last year, um, we were able to be in a position of power and set our own terms because we had shown such amazing traction. And to your beginning point about you know, I wish I could do these things, but I don't have the, you know, ability or like the investment. Mm -hmm. um, I can speak to just like a few anecdotal examples of what you can do um, with no money. So 
for example, we didn't have a PR agency when we started because that's expensive and we only had 4K to work with. Um, mm -hmm. So I personally slid into so many editors, DMs on Instagram. Um, and that's how we landed like, you know, Elle magazine, like a print issue. No way. Yeah, we just like reached out. Um, and, you know, when we were first side hustling, we wanted to be in a subscription box because you're able to get your product into thousands of households, if not millions. Totally. And we weren't at the stage where we could partner yet with Ipsy and FabFitFun, which we ended up partnering with later when we had full-on mm -hmm. manufacturing. But in the beginning days when we were hand-making products in my kitchen, we signed on with a partnership for 7,000 units of our makeup wipes. And we handmade those products every day after work oh for wow. weeks. Like, so for three weeks, we made no plans with our friends. We literally just like ate dinner really quick and then would just like hand make these wipes on my counter until midnight. And then Laura would go back to her apartment so we could like go back to work the next day at her other full-time jobs. But when you really believe in what you're working on, anything will be worth it. And by the end of it, our wrists were in so much pain. <laughs> I believe it. But it was worth it because that's how we landed a bunch of other retail partners because their buyers got um, the subscription box. So those are two examples. I mean, I've been many, many examples of what you can do um, by yourself. Uh, but the main key point is that you don't need to wait until you have investment to do a lot, which is uh, why we're able to do so much with so little. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a hilarious story. And it makes me wonder, um, you know, you're, you were both working at full-time jobs. Um, obviously you're now working on free ships full-time. Um, mm -hmm. So when did you know it was time to make that jump? Was it like once you were generating a certain amount of revenue? Was it just that you couldn't balance them both anymore? Or what was that tipping point? That's a great question because I think a lot of your listeners are probably going through this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say it was a really, really challenging time. Like Laura and I were exhausted physically and mentally because you'd work your nine to five. And obviously you want to give your all um, when it comes to your full time job. And um, I fully believe you can. I remember the day that I quit my other job. They It was the day they gave me my performance review. And I remember being really surprised that they gave me an exceptional review because I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. Like I'm secretly working on this thing on the side. But when you <laughs> put your all into everything with integrity, um, I think that's the number one thing. Um, but it came down to really like, we want to save up enough money to have a six month runway um, with three ships so that when we went full time, we wouldn't need to be paying ourselves for six months. So mm -hmm. that was really our like the number that we had in our head. So as soon as we hit that savings amount, we decided it was go time. And during that time leading up to when we went full time, um, it was obvious like we didn't have enough time to work on our brand. Um, we were always like secretly taking calls during the day, um, you know, in breakout rooms at work or asking people to do calls at like 8 p.m., which naturally raised a lot of questions. Um, and so it just was obvious that we had gotten to that point. But I highly recommend for people um, to work as long as they can in a job uh, if they feel like they're not sure if they want to go full time yet. I think the whole, you know, you know, jump ship, go full time, like, entrepreneurship, yeah. I feel like that's overly glamorized sometimes. Oh, yeah. And like, follow your dreams, like, yes, follow your dreams, but you need to, you know, worry about paying yourselves and like, eating like and like having you know, shelter and all that first. So that's why Laura and I chose to do it that way. And I highly recommend it. 
Yeah. And I mean, Emma and I need to be really careful because coming from the Shopify ecosystem, entrepreneurship is completely romanticized. Like that's, I mean, if they can't drink their own Kool-Aid, who can? Um, But I think we've seen time and time again, people leaving, starting from scratch, and then like the plans just not going the way that they had anticipated. So I always give the advice when people just message me asking for Shopify advice or business advice is don't leave until you have no other choice. Mm -hmm. right? If it's sucking the life out of you, that's one thing. But until your time is strapped, until your energy is strapped, until you can really make a go of it financially, it doesn't need to be this massive risk. Mm -hmm. I totally agree with that. And that's exactly the avenue that we went down with three ships. I love it. And so when we're looking at, I mean, I this question probably comes up all the time, but you've done so much in 2020 when the world was really working against you, like a full rebrand, Laura's Health, like you guys have done so much from retail partnerships perspective. What does 2021 have in store? Yeah, a lot. (laughs) A lot lot for sure. I think this is the year of growth for us. Um, So lots of retail expansion, like I mentioned earlier. We're also launching five new products this year. Wow. Um, We're really, really rounding out the product assortment. Um, A new product is launching in March, and we just had a new cleanser launch last week. And then uh, a lot more to come. So be sure to follow us on Instagram to be the first to know about new launches. Um, And then I would say also just trying to grow our online awareness Um, because we focus on retail or wholesale um, very early on. um, It was great for cash flow and, you know, for getting awareness with retailers. But I think where we need to work on this year is growing that online channel. Um, So we recently hired a rock star growth marketer um, and she's been helping us grow the online channel um, with awareness and acquisition and retention. Um, And then the last area I would say is growing out our team. So right now we are actually a very small and mighty team of four um, full time. And wow. we work with contractors. So for PR agencies and like digital marketing and like branding and et cetera. Mm-hmm. But in terms of the core team, it's four. Um, so we are looking to expand our team this year, um, which I'm really excited about. So just can't believe that, you know, people are excited about growing our mission uh, that started in my kitchen. It's still kind of unbelievable to me. <laughs> Oh, it's so amazing. And it's just such a such a heartwarming story. And I think, you know, you guys are just so deserving of the success you're having. And um, yeah, it's just, it's really inspiring. Um, one question that we always like to wrap with is, who do you think gets it? Ooh, that's a really good question. <laughs> um, oh, man. I think if I were to think about it in an abstract way, I would say the people who don't get so wrapped up in the money and the success and the fame that comes with startup and think more holistically about what they want to achieve with their life. And the reason I say this is as we've been growing in our entrepreneurial journey, you definitely see a lot of people along the way. And the ones that have always made the biggest impact on me are the ones who will always be there to help their friends and family, who always put their family first. It's not just about, you know, appearing on Forbes 30 under 30, even though that's great, but like, it's not just about those things because I know it sounds morbid, but Laura and I always say like, when we're old and like, we're looking back at our life, what do we want to be remembered for? And I don't think people will care that we grew by 650% like year over year. It's really about the relationships and the impact that you have on others. And that's why um, Laura and I really focus on trying to be the best mentors and examples um, that you can be like kind um, and yet still fierce leaders in the entrepreneurial space. 
Connie, I'm seeing a theme here. You're picking advisors who, you know, have empathy for the entrepreneurs. You guys value the people who don't, you know, throw their lives into their business and, you know, that's all they care about. For everybody listening, if you're looking for people who care about people and, oh yeah, they just happen to be growing a super successful business on the side, three ships is it, 100%. Well, thanks guys. I wish you were uh, my personal cheerleaders every day. (laughs) (laughs) Connie, this has been such a fun conversation. I'm actually actively restraining myself. I have a million more questions, but we're at time. Thank you so, so much for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. And, you know, if you have any questions, you can always shoot us an email or DM. Um, Laura and I love sharing more about the entrepreneurial journey uh, and we'll always help others who are looking to start their own business. So don't hesitate to give us a shout. Uh, Connie, you're the best. Thank you so much. Okay, we covered a lot of territory, everything from their experience on Dragon's Den to the retail partners that they're launching in. Connie had a lot of really good things to say. Just as a reminder, you guys, they are extending all they get at listeners a 20% off discount code. So if you go onto the Three Ships website and type in they get it 20 at checkout, you'll get 20% off your order. Which we love to see. I'm going to use that discount code and buy myself a few things. So yeah, thanks everyone for listening for another episode. My shameless plug at the end of every episode, ratings and reviews really help us out. So if you enjoy our content, please, please do that. We'll be forever indebted to you. And if you want to check us out on Instagram, they.get.it. We've got lots of content there as well. That's it for today. And we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. (laughs)